Welcome to the October 18th sermon from Clifford Baptist Church, 635 Fletcher's Level Road in Amherst. Today's scripture is John chapter 6, verses 16 through 24, and the sermon is entitled, Walking on the Sea, delivered today by Pastor Michael Fitzgerald. Today we're going to continue our journey through the Gospel of John. I want you to take your Bible, turn with me to John chapter 6. Thank you for hanging with me through this sermon series. We are fellow students of this great, inspired Word of God. I have read the Gospel of John all my life, and yet through this intensive study, it is becoming more and more deep to me, and I love it more and more. Now, in the last sermon that I preached here, we talked about Jesus feeding the 5,000 men plus an unnumbered group of women and children. And at this point in Jesus' ministry, he's pretty much at the pinnacle of his popularity. People are following him everywhere. Everywhere he goes, a multitude will gather to hear him speak or to see a miracle or to see what is next in his ministry. They have heard God's word. They have even heard about or have seen the fact that one person was raised from the dead. Jairus' daughter was raised from the dead. So... He was truly gaining popularity and momentum as a preacher day by day. But remember this as we begin this Gospel of John study. Many people followed him out of curiosity. Many people followed him just so they could see the next miracle, whatever that might be. Not everyone followed him as Savior. Not everyone followed him as the Christ. Not everyone who gathered to hear Jesus was saved. The same is true today. You know, in our society, most everyone knows the name of Jesus. Some use it in faith. Some use his name flippantly. Some use his name sorrowfully. But everybody knows the name of Jesus. But not everyone who uses the name of Jesus is saved. That's our job as the church of Jesus Christ, is that we will bring in all people, not just to know the name of Jesus, but to know Jesus as the Savior, the Son of God, in that personal relationship. For this section of John, then, people are keeping up with Jesus' travels. After the feeding of the 5,000, word very quickly spread that same day that this was a man of power. And so... They wanted to lift him up. All of this crowd of 5,000 men and women and children, this crowd who had just been fed, wanted to lift him up as a king. They wanted to hoist him up and to bring him to the Roman government as a new proclaimed king on earth. But Jesus didn't want that turmoil. Of course, if a new king were introduced to the Roman government, that was going to cause a great problem. The Roman government didn't want to be challenged with a new king being raised up. And so to propose a new king would be a major threat and a major problem to the ministry of Jesus Christ. Jesus did not want that turmoil surrounding his ministry. And Jesus did not want the position of being an earthly king. His desire was not to sit on the throne of an earthly kingship. His desire then and his desire now is to sit on the throne of our hearts. That's the throne that Jesus desires. Much of the people, most of the people who followed Jesus had not understood that yet, that he wanted to be their Lord and their Savior. But in order to diffuse these 5,000 men who had this enthusiasm to lift him up as king, what does he do? Well, Scripture says that he simply retreats from them. He leaves the crowd 
so that the crowd would lose momentum and walk away. I have a friend who's a beekeeper, and he says in beekeeping that when the, bee, when the queen bee leaves the hive, that all the other thousands of worker bees just simply fly away. When the centerpiece of the queen bee is gone, all the other bees just leave, diffuse, and leave the hive. The centerpiece is gone. In the same way, in this account of Jesus' life, the same principle is in force here. Although the crowd wanted to hoist Jesus up on their shoulders and proclaim him as a new king, he just disappeared. And when he did, the crowd lost its energy and dispersed. So here's the question. When Jesus left the crowd wanting to make him a king, where did he go? Well, let's begin our study today with John chapter 6, verse 15. Listen to these words. John 6, 15. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. So he left them and he went to this mountain alone, not with his disciples, but by himself he retreated away. So the disciples didn't go with him. Where did they go? What did they do? Well, that's where we pick up Scripture today. Now, let's go ahead in John chapter 6. We're going to study today verses 16 through 24. Let's hear these words. With Jesus up on the mountain, the disciples go another route. Hear these words. John chapter 6, begin with verse 16. And when even was now come, his disciples went down unto the sea and entered into a ship and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was now dark. And Jesus was not come to them. And the sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew. So when they had rowed about five and twenty or thirty furlongs, they see Jesus walking on the sea and drawing nigh unto the ship. And they were afraid. But he saith unto them, It is I, be not afraid. Then they willingly received him into the ship, and immediately... The ship was at the land whither they went. The day following, when the people which stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was none other boat there, save that one whereunto his disciples were entered, and that Jesus went not with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples were gone away alone. Howbeit there came other boats from Tiberias nigh unto the place where they did eat bread, after that the Lord had given thanks." When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. Very important words that conclude this scripture reading, those last three words. They went seeking for Jesus. May God add his blessing to the reading of this portion of his precious word as we open this study. You know very well, this study is about Jesus walking on the water, one of the most famous accounts of Jesus' life. And I want you to take note that this account of Jesus' life is in the Gospel of John, but it's also in two other of the Gospels, Matthew and Mark. Mark chapter 6, Mark gives a very similar account of Jesus walking on the water. But the most famous picture of Jesus walking on the water really is contained in Matthew chapter 14, because Matthew adds something that we remember very vividly. We remember that Peter stepped out of the boat, and he walks on the water himself toward Jesus 
wanting to have the faith to get to Jesus, but his faith falters and he begins to sink and Jesus has to reach out and to lift him up. Isn't it interesting that Matthew includes that point in his gospel, but John does not. Why doesn't John include Peter in his account? Well, I believe there's a reason. He himself was in the boat. He knew very well that it had happened. He had seen that image with his own eyes. But remember that John wrote with a laser pointer. John wanted to keep all the attention on Jesus. Everything that happened was to give attention to Jesus as the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. He was the Savior, and he is in control of all created things. So while John knew very well about Peter and what had happened there, he wrote to keep all of the spotlight on John, on Jesus. So John's word about Jesus on the water is the laser focus that he's keeping all of the good news and all of the gospel centered on Jesus the Christ. He shows us that Jesus is the Lord of all creation. He shows us that he has power over all things animate and inanimate. So really, poor old Peter just gets left out. John sees him as a side item because he wants to keep the focus on Jesus. Now both Matthew and Mark say that Jesus constrained or insisted that his disciples get into the boat and sail across the Sea of Galilee that very night. Now, they board the boat in this area of Bethsaida. That's where the feeding of the 5,000 took place. Remember, as they board the boat, this is the very same day as the feeding of the 5,000. So the crowds are still milling about. There's still a crowd within that community. But as they board the boat, they are going to sail westward on the Sea of Galilee, and they're going to go all the way across to the city of Capernaum, and they're going to dock there and disembark their boat there. Well, as the disciples get in the boat, there are three very important points that you have to remember. Point number one, Jesus is not with them. As the disciples get into the boat, they are a group unto themselves. Jesus is on the mountain. He is not with them. Secondly, it is getting dark. Nightfall is coming quickly. And it's a very unusual time for seasoned sailors to get into a boat and sail across the Sea of Galilee. Most times, sailing always took place in the daytime, and when the evening came, the boats were docked, and everybody left their activity on the water to come back the next morning. So it's a very unusual time that Jesus constrains them to get in the boat and sail across the sea. Also, there is a storm somewhere in the distance brewing. Here's point number three. As those seasoned sailors row out into the sea, it's getting darker by the minute, and the storm is growing in intensity through every passing second. So John, from his own personal experience that he and his friends rowed out, He says, we rode out into the sea about 25 to 35 furlongs. A furlong is one-eighth of a mile. And so they had gone out into the Sea of Galilee somewhere around three or four miles. If you remember, the Sea of Galilee at its wide point is eight miles wide. So they were almost smack in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. There wasn't a quick retreat Here they are in the middle of the sea. It is getting darker by the second, and the storm is getting more intense all the time. They're three or four miles offshore. They couldn't hurry to either side. 
and the storm begins thrashing them and beating them, and the waves are uh, slashing into, uh, into their lives, into their boat, and they couldn't get away from this storm because they're so exposed in the middle of the sea. Well, let's take a pause. Let's get in the head of the disciples for a moment. Talk about what they're thinking about. On this very day, these disciples had helped Jesus to feed 5,000 men and women and children, and this day had given to them an emotional roller coaster. They had fed all of these people. The multitude of people wanted to lift up Jesus as a brand-new king. They wanted to make him a new Roman ruler. So maybe the disciples started to think in their human minds with their human emotions, if Jesus becomes king, then we guys who are following him will become important as well. If Jesus becomes king, we're going to have some kind of leadership role. So I imagine they were on some sort of high as they realized that Jesus could very well be made a king. Maybe as they climbed into the boat, they were high-fiving. They were going to be men of power, and so they were kind of celebrating that. We, they were realizing, man, we have been with the man who might now become a king. So maybe these disciples were thinking in their human minds, we are with Mr. Famous, and we ourselves will be famous. So I can just believe as they climbed to that boat, they were high-fiving one another, and they were celebrating the fact that they had been with Jesus, who may become a king. But then as they get into the boat, and as they get out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, and they get way beyond the point of any calm return, these guys go to the other end of the spectrum, and no longer are they celebrating. Now they are scared to death for their lives. The storm is buffeting their boat, slashing them with waves, and they're scared to death in the dark of the night. In all of their years of sailing as seasoned sailors, they had never experienced anything like this. They were probably more scared than they'd ever been as a fisherman on the Sea of Galilee. So the disciples plummet from swelled heads to terrified hearts. At one moment, they may have been celebrating that Jesus might be a king, but now at this moment in the Sea of Galilee, they are scared to death. And in their most intense moment of fear, I want you to look at John chapter 6, verse 19. John 6, verse 19. So when they had rowed about 5 and 20 or 30 furlongs, they see Jesus walking on the sea and drawing nigh unto the ship. And they were afraid. They were afraid. They see the form of appears to be a man, and they're squinting, looking through the waves, looking through the rain, looking through the blowing of the wind, trying to figure out who that is or what that is out there on the Sea of Galilee. And they're scared. Matthew and Mark record that they think it's a ghost. John just says that this image scares the bejeebers out of them. I use that word just to see how Amy Howard is going to interpret that in sign language. But before Jesus gets to the ship, out there in the dark, in the middle of the most intense storm these men had ever been through, he calls out. He says, it is I. Be not 
afraid. Six words that can change their hearts, change their lives, change how they feel. And Jesus walks to the ship, he climbs aboard, and as he does, miracles begin to happen. Matthew and Mark record that the storm immediately lays down. And the image that we have in the Greek there is like using a bridle on a horse. Jesus pulls back the reins, and just as a horse stops at that command, he pulls back the reins on that storm, and it simply lies down. And all is calm, and the water becomes like a tabletop. He has the power and the authority to calm the storm. And then John adds that when Jesus came into the boat, immediately they had traveled the three or four miles to the other side, and miraculously they had arrived at the dock in Capernaum. So miraculously he had covered space and time and got them to safety in Capernaum. And John also notes what all the crowd did. Remember on the other side that they had left going over to Capernaum, here are all these people who had been fed the day before, milling about, well, the next day, There's a conversation among all of these people who had been fed by Jesus. And they chatter among themselves, saying, We know that Jesus left us. He went up into the mountain, and we saw his disciples do just the opposite. They got in the boat, and they sailed away in the dark. And so a large part of that crowd of 5,000 the next day get into their own boats, and they then also sail toward Capernaum. So the day after the storm, after they had docked in Capernaum, the disciples were safe now. I want you to picture the Sea of Galilee. It is dotted and covered by other boats traveling across that eight-mile journey to get to Capernaum so that they could see the Lord. They go for that one reason alone. I want you to look again at the last verse of our study today, which is John chapter 6, verse 24. Listen to these words once again. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. If you write in your Bible, I want you to underline, circle, star those words. The people came seeking for Jesus. Now, that's where we stop in our study of Scripture today. But I want us to take away some growth points. What does that teach us? What does that mean to us? Because I believe that any time we study Scripture written 2,000 years ago, it has a modern application to us today. So here are three takeaway points that I want you to get from this sermon today. The first is this. I want you to remember that Jesus retreated from people who wanted to give him earthly fame Jesus left the group who wanted to make him a king. Jesus did not desire to have any form or fashion of earthly fame. He has no desire today to have earthly fame. Jesus does not desire today that the church makes him hip or modern or a rock star. Jesus doesn't care about the way we want to put him out there. What Jesus wants is faithful hearts, people who are willing to give our lives to him, and people who are willing to serve him and love him as his people in faith, that we're going to follow his word, that we're going to follow his will. He doesn't want to be a rock star. He wants to be our Savior. He wants to be our God. 
He simply wants a place in our hearts. He desires to be worshipped in truth. He doesn't need smoke on the stage. He doesn't need a Taj Mahal of a sanctuary. He simply needs willing and open hearts to receive him as Lord and Savior. To say, Lord God, I surrender to you whatever you ask me to do. However I can walk with you, I want to follow you in all things. That's his desire, to be our God, to be our Savior, to be our friend as he walks with us day by day. Here's the second takeaway truth. Jesus always comes in the storm. Amen? Jesus always comes to us in our storm. It did not just happen more than 2,000 years ago. His character has not changed. Those disciples thought he was long away from them. He was back on a mountain somewhere. But when they were in their deepest need and in their deepest fear, Jesus came to them. It is still true today. When we are in our deepest need, Jesus absolutely comes to his own. I want you to underline the words of John chapter 6, verse 20, where Jesus said, It is I, be not afraid. He spoke those words uh, when they were in the midst of the storm. It brings to mind a story about a great theologian. I have his books, and I love to read them. I, I consult them often in sermon preparation. His name was William Barclay. He lived in the mid-1900s. And there's an account of William Barclay's life that is sad, and yet God gave Mr. Barclay, Dr. Barclay, a great faith through this. Dr. Barclay lost a daughter to a boating accident just shortly before she was to be married. And he could not preach for a long time because of the loss of his daughter. But finally, the first sermon that he preached was this account of Jesus walking on the water from Mark's gospel. And when he finished his sermon, he said this, I know Jesus walked on the water to his disciples and calmed their hearts. But this I know personally, Jesus calmed the storm in my heart. Today we know that Jesus comes to us in our moments of greatest need. He spoke these words on the deepest night within the worst of the storms. It is I, be not afraid. And he speaks those six words to us throughout our own lives. Here's the third point that I want us to take away today. It's a universal truth. It was true 2,000 years ago. It's a truth that still exists today. And this truth is true no matter what the world might say. The last words of John 6, verse 24, say that people still seek for Jesus. People came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. You know, that is still true today. Nothing has changed in the, in the human condition. People are still seeking for Jesus. Many of them don't know it yet. They just know there's a hole in their heart and a need in their life, and they reach out striving for something that's going to bring comfort and fulfillment. A lot of people are seeking comfort by seeking to be happy. And yet happiness comes and goes. It has an ebb and a flow. You're happy one moment, and then the next moment the happiness has fled away. That's because happiness is temporary. What they're looking for is the peace of Jesus Christ. The truest joy is having him in your heart. People are still seeking for Jesus. 
If people are looking for contentment, what they're really searching for, what they're really thirsty for, is for Jesus Christ to live in their hearts because He is the true source of contentment in our life. If people are looking for purpose, they will not ultimately find purpose in money or houses or cars or worldly fame. None of that will bring true, lasting purpose in life. Jesus is the one who gives us purpose. Jesus is the one who gives us a reason for waking up every morning and giving him the honor of serving him in that day. If people are seeking healing, be it physical healing or a healing in a marriage or a healing of an addiction or a healing in our country, you know what people are really seeking? The healing of the great physician. And his name is Jesus. So people are still seeking Jesus, just as they did going across the Sea of Galilee seeking him. Today, people are still seeking him. And church, that's our call. That's our ministry. We're to take that Savior into the world. He's the fulfillment of what the world needs. We cannot be ashamed of him. We cannot hide him. We cannot downplay him. We cannot whitewash him. But rather, he is the fulfillment of what people are searching for this day. We have in our hearts what they need in their hearts. Share him. Rededicate your life to speaking his name. Rededicate your life today to sharing the love of Christ where you go this week. Be his representative. Be his mouth. Be his hands and his feet and his outreach to a world that desperately needs him. But as you go from here today, always keep in your mind, people are, all people are seeking Jesus. They know they need something, and their something is always the Savior. Church, I pray that we will be faithful and true in serving him every day. Today, if you're here or you're listening by streaming or even in the parking lot by an FM signal, if you have never come to Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, whatever you've longed for, whatever you've worked for, whatever is that unfulfilled spot in your heart, let me tell you, the answer to it all is Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. He is the source of peace and contentment and purpose and joy. He's the one who will give you the walk of life that's going to bring you a great joy. If you need him today, the end of your search is right here in this sanctuary. And you can come and you can say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died on a cross for me, a sinner. All of us sin, all of us fall short of the glory of God. And I recognize before you, Lord, that I too am a sinner. I need your forgiveness. And so today, Lord, I come to you and I lay down my sin at your cross and I ask your forgiveness, and I ask your grace, and I ask to be your son or your daughter. And if you will receive him in faith, in trust, the Bible promises he will never turn you away. If you feel that unfulfilled need in your heart, I promise you today on the very word of God. This is not a promise of Mike Fitzgerald. This is a promise of the word of God. That unfulfilled need in your heart is Jesus Christ. If you need him, you come and give him your life and you will begin a new walk and a new purpose this day. God bless your church home, whatever you need. He meets us in this place. Let's pray together. Our Father, our God, thank you for these moments of worship together. 
Thank you, Lord, for allowing me the technology as Kenneth and Chad joined me here that we could record this a little early. But, Father, I pray that the message is true and strong, Lord. You don't want to be famous. You want to be Savior. And I thank you, Father, that you want simple hearts to come to you and come before you and say, Lord, I surrender to follow you in all things. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. And Father, we know that you can change life. Thank you, Father, that in the deepest moments of fear in our lives, it is then that you show up and say, it is I. Be not afraid. And Father, I pray that we as a church will always remember that there are people in this world who do not know you, but the true truest down deep concern in their hearts always finds its truth in this that people are seeking Jesus may we be uh, may we be true in the way that we serve you and love you and give our lives to you as the church of Jesus Christ thank you father for hearing us thank you for blessing us bless that one who needs you as savior today in Jesus name amen Clifford Baptist Church invites you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For more information about our church, please call our church office at 434-946-0555.